Scotty, 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 guess what? Guess what? Guess what? I don't know, John. What, 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 what? Well, so we had our, our company, you know, quarterly celebration today, you know, who performed. The, the uh, an org- uh, whatever, a group called Drumline Live, which is the very best of the very best of, of marching, marching bands. And this is the one that was uh, featured in, in uh, Beyonce's uh, film called Homecoming, which was on Netflix. And my gosh, they are so good. And it's, it was just fun to, to see them perform. And then uh, we hung out a little bit afterwards. I helped um, give a tour, um, which I thought was lots of fun because they just loved um, some of the conference rooms. And it was nice to, to you know, it's just nice to, to hang out with people who are exceptionally good at what they do. And they are, and they really are. It was amazing. I, I think I can share some video of the performance, and particular because I had done marching band when I was in in school, you know, in high school a million years ago. Um, the techniques that they 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 employed, uh, the choreography, the the rhythmic techniques, the, the the way that they play, and even the equipment they play on is just it, it's like Jimi Hendrix, it, you know, kind of uh, different between what came before. Um, so it was just it was it was cool. Um, but that was my guess what, guess what, guess what statement. But you... see, see, marching bands are a very American thing. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, I, I, I doubt there is a single high school in the UK that has a marching band. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's very, very US. Um, not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying, yeah, it's it's something that I, and, and I'm sure it's, uh, I, I'm sure when you see a good one, it's um, it's really good. But I would imagine uh, most high school marching bands terrible. Um, but, uh, actually, I mean, some are amazingly good. I mean, basically the ones that are really good are, tend to be the ones that are, um, in places, they tend to be in more rural areas where the whole town is all about, you know, Friday night football and marching band and cheerleading is, is in support of that. I mean, people will, 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 you know, there, there will be huge competitions, uh, you know, uh, among marching bands. But it's typically it's like the halftime show and the thing for for making pep and so on and so forth. But there are bands that are just they're just fun. They're really good. I mean, and and I should link something in the in the show notes. It's 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 a it's a very amusing comedy you know stand up comic talking about the difference between white marching bands and black marching bands. And and it, from my experience, it's absolutely true that the the choice of material is is and then the the presentation of like. It's a it's a it's a whole different thing, you know. Um, it's the difference between John Philip Sousa and and Cameo or Earth Wind and Fire. But anyway, um, now it was fun. But yes, I guess maybe nobody cares about this except for segue moment here. Maybe uh, maybe the author of Polynome, um, Joe Crable, who who you know, I've been continuing to correspond with. Um, uh, he might appreciate this. And right now he's like saying, actually, I do. Or not, because he's not really listening to it at this moment. I mean, he is in the future, but not at this very moment right now. That was a very good segue. Well done. Yeah. That was almost like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, you've been marching bands and giving people tours and doing hack days. Uh, I mean, yeah, how's the day job? The day job is good. So um, the thing that, you know, part of what I kept talking about that I was working on uh, is it's almost going to ship. Um, and this is the thing that I said that it was it was complicated and and have to design something that will uh, deal with with new instances of it. Um, but I can't I can't 
I can't reveal what it is, and I'm sorry. I know it's it, it, it's like oh my gosh, all this excitement. It's not that it's it's terribly exciting. It's just that it hasn't it hasn't appeared in the product yet. Um, yeah, I would be very surprised if anyone's out there saying, "Oh, John, I'm so excited, so excited." Oh, you didn't tell me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sure they're just uh, going. He'll tell us eventually. He'll tell us eventually. Yeah, I know. But it was. It, I think one thing that was nice is that it, 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 it's something that's really quite brand new. Um, and uh, I should say kind of brand new in, in, at least for, hmm, how do I say this? It's brand new in that I was creating brand new stuff in a, in a, in, in, in our new backend. So it was a great learning experience in that way. And also I would say that it is, it's been interesting for me as we are, are planning our, our, our new architecture directions really to see where where the old world of, of object-oriented programming and object relational modeling and, and kind of butts up against the, the, you know, the, the functional programming where you never have, you, you scarcely have objects. You just have functions that, that take as simple an input as possible and spit it out, which is, is really great and wonderful, um, especially for, for being able to test things. And, and, but I will still admit that it, it feels... It feels a little bit odd to me in some ways, because in some ways, functional programming to me seems like you are are going backwards a little bit. You are and you aren't. It seems backwards into the niceness of of smart models that can do lots of good things, um, but that that causes all sorts of other problems. But anyway, that that's a whole other topic. I mean, yeah. To, I mean, I'm going to butcher this now and probably upset every single person from you. Know, your functional programming, you know, gurus to your object-oriented gurus by just basically getting everything wrong. Um, but, you know, that's uh, the joy of podcasting. You don't have to know what you're talking about. You can just talk. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I yeah, I played with functional programming, not necessarily using Swift or anything like that. Um, you know, I did some Elm. I think we spoke about that a while ago. Um and you know, I think you know, t- 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 the massive oversimplification is in functional programming. State is bad. You should, uh, and I understand it's about testability. You should always pass something, be able to pass everything you need into a method, and then get the same stuff out. You know, then get something out of the method, and it should always be consistent. The same in, you should always get the same out. Um, and you know, and the argument is, as soon as you have state that's elsewhere, um, you you know. You, you can can't guarantee what the based on the input to a method what the output is going to be and that's not good for testing and i and i fully agree with that and i think um you know taking at least functional principles of taking making functions and methods take all the parameters they need and have a consistent output as opposed to relying on um state elsewhere is quite a good way forward However, state is actually rather important in programming. It turns out, <laughs> um, and 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 you find that um, you know, uh, and I'm sure the gurus will totally argue with me and say this is wrong here. You then find functional uh, people using functional techniques then often go through lots of hoops to sort of keep state without ever having to admit they're keeping state. <laughs> <laughs> functional programming's <laughs> dirty little secret. <laughs> It is so. It's we we will we will do this thing over here and give it a name that's not state, so that people don't think we're keeping state or or whatever it might be. Um, and it gets quite messy. And I I actually think taking um, uh, you know 
using a combination of uh, object-oriented programming and functional programming is uh, is is a happy medium uh, is is a good way forward. Um, it's you know if you call a method on an object, you know how much should that be affected by the state of the object? I think uh, you know, I, I totally get where the arguments come from, but you know I guess if you can say if you call this method with these parameters and the state is this, you'll always get this. And if you call the method with parameters and the state is that, you'll always get that. It's slightly harder, but it's still sort of knowable, um, inconsistent. But I, you know, objects have value. Um, I think sometimes we end up chucking everything into an object when it doesn't need to be. Um, we've become quite uh, nervous about just creating a library of functions that do stuff. And so we start creating these uh, objects and have just class methods on them so that we can, you know, do, you know, my class name dot something to do stuff as opposed to just writing a, <laughs> having having a source code file full of functions you can just call because they don't need to be attached to anything. So, but I think, you know, nice happy mediums, um, working the two. And I think consistency, I guess if, you, if you're using two different techniques or three, if you're going some other way or whatever, you know, uh, being consistent about when you do things a certain way so that people are never surprised. If you'll normally do this with an object, then keep doing it with an object. Don't suddenly be functional and vice versa, because otherwise, you know, I think the the problem of mixing stuff is you, you then suddenly surprise people and they don't know what's going on. But there we are. It's about being... Uh, I always take the argument, it's about learning what is good about every technique and then trying to apply what is good to what you're doing without having to necessarily be a purist, because purists... Purists have great theories. Purists are very clever people. Um, purists write some very nice code, but purists tend not to ship. Yeah, I, I, oh my god, I'm so happy you said that because as you're setting it up, I was about to inject that in there. Yeah. So um, yeah. yeah, and so sometimes you have to be a pure a pure pragmatist. Yeah, in there as well. Well, so. Uh, that 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 is it's been very interesting to think about it while you're talking because I think that one of the nice things about objects is they have consistent interfaces and and it's very nice and, you know if, if you have one object of one class and it it it, it responds to these methods it, it's kind of consistent I know and because you know from everything to from you know name to description to to any other thing you might imagine doing it. You just ask it a question and it gives you a nice one-line answer. And I like that. Now, in order to get that answer, it might use something that is really more like functions where it will take some of its properties and then then ask a, a function with these input parameters, what's the output going to be? And then it packages it up nicely. So in a way, you can kind of say, well, functions exist inside objects. Objects make a nice little wrapper around them. And that was part of the whole idea about object-oriented programming, especially in the early days when you could say, well, you know, you could take your crunky back end, you know, systems. This this is the way Next, you know, talked about it. It's like, you know, every enterprise has these big IBM mainframes and we'll put a nice object layer on top of it and it'll be much easier to 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 think about and you'll have an error inheritance and the world will come to, to, to be beautiful. Um and and in a way kind of Things have always followed that you know that, that 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 pattern, and everybody refers to something somebody else's code as legacy. We had a meeting today. I thought it was very interesting where they said legacy doesn't necessarily mean something that's old. Just a definition of legacy is it is it completely testable? If it's not, then that's legacy, and it doesn't matter if it was written a week ago. So anyway, it's it's. I feel like I'm 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 kind of enjoying 
having a bunch of my knowledge or a bunch of my my experience upended in some way. I think there a lot of the reasons people have problems with objects is uh, just like we've you know you know in, in the iOS world we have you know the, the the joke about massive view controllers where we you know stick everything into a view controller. I think we um we we make our objects far too big trying to do too much i think objects should be very compact and very focused about you know one very small piece of data as small as possible and the set of functions that operate on that data and they should be and and i think we tend to write often one big object where maybe it should be you know an object that is composed of four or five other objects to do stuff so that makes objects then very testable very focused very you know um if it's just a few bits of data and a few methods that operate on that data um i think what we tend to do though is say well it, it's sort of being used in this one so we'll put those four properties on on the main object and those four methods whereas they should be in their own object and then have that as an internal object so i think we get somehow we get frightened that um having you know all these extra objects is too expensive and i guess uh that could have been true in the earlier days of object-oriented programming because memory allocation is always an expensive uh, operation compared to many things and creating objects and especially there may be in a garbage collected or you know a, a managed environment of that way um might be seen that way but now you know we have structs so you don't even have to go with that you can which are far more lightweight so yeah i think part of the problem is people don't create enough objects and we should be creating far more more objects, that's what I say. If I was king of the world, I'd be promising more objects. You heard it here first, so let's get the army of functional programmers to, to lop off your head. Oh, and, and where you need to, more functions, just functions. Yeah, I, They don't have to be on an object, I say. There Put we go. Two bits together, more, them. Scotty makes a, a decision. More objects and more functions. More of everything. <laughs> more tests. Yep. Well, Scotty, 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 how are you enjoying being in sunny, perfect California? Or was I not supposed to divulge that fact? No, no, I'm I'm in California, in uh, Los Garros. So um, uh, it's it's warm here, although it's actually cooler here than it is at home at the moment. It always happens whenever I come away. Yeah, oh, my God. All of Europe is on fire. Uh, yeah, I mean, Britain had its second, its warmest ever July day today, apparently. It was 101 degrees. Um uh, which is, you know, for the, which is also the second hottest day Britain's ever had since records began, um, and I think it's a nice, comfortable eighty-five here or whatever it is. So there we are, but it, it's very, very pleasant. Um, I've only been here about. Uh, I arrived here about thirty-six hours ago, forty hours ago. So still a little jet lagged. Still, still sort of a. Coming to it at six PM as we're recording now, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I could quite happily just go and uh, jump into bed and go to sleep because I've been up since four this morning. But the key is not to. But no, here and um, hopefully we'll be able to get together. But uh, here, just doing work on the client site, it's always nice to come and sit in the same room as the team I'm working with, and you know, go for lunch and uh, uh, just do all those things you would normally do when you're in a room with a team and keep those connections going, and that just helps the relationship when you're back remote again. So although I'm a, I'm a big fan of working remote and i think companies um need to gear up more to do remote i think especially with uh, the issues of finding developers um the remote is where to go however 100 percent remote never being together is quite difficult um especially 
you know, if you're of a fairly quiet personality, not that not that outgoing, it becomes quite quite hard. So the the combination of being together physically as a team regularly enough to have, uh, you know, the relationships that allow the banter to go on when you're more remote is, I find, um, quite useful. I mean, it is, you know, to be honest, a little bit of a pain. Uh, crossing the Atlantic on a regular basis. So I'm doing it slightly less than I was. Last time I was working with this client, I was over here every single month. Um, I'm over here every other month this time. Uh, but, um, you know, as, as much as sitting on airplanes for 11 hours at a time is, is quite hard, I think it's worth it for the relationship. These are people you're working with. You spend a lot of hours a week having to interact with those people's code and the way they work and knowing who they are is, is quite important. So, that's the balance. So even though it's quite tiring, it's it's good to be here. And of course, it means I get to come and see you as well. Hopefully, that's right. Unless well, you're going to, you often leave the country as soon as I get here. Are you no, leaving the country? No, no. I'm I'm here slavishly devoted to your amusement. <laughs> that's. I'm gonna have to test that somehow. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. Just right. You should test and, and test your assertions. So I mean. Um, obviously within within netflix you you have to support sort of a a range of oss and you don't necessarily go for the latest things all the time but i'm assuming people play with things what's the what's the general you know dub dub is now what six weeks ago seven weeks ago something like that um you know the 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 big buzz and the excitement is is worn off and now it's the reality of you know one 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 point zero style creatures and and whatever else is there a uh, a general feeling amongst you and your colleagues about who has has dub dub lived up to all the hype that was in there or is it now the warts and all are out there and it's like oh well there was a bit of a smoke and mirrors going on how how or do you get a sense of how people are feeling about it i think people are are, are excited about the direction and how things can be and that apple has also kind of thrown in their hat and and you know decided yes you know <laughs> reactive programming and, 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 you know, combined framework, you know, that they basically said, yes, we're going to have our own one. And, and so I think as a result, people are saying, or at least on our team, since we're going to be making a a kind of a, 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 an architectural shift um, from what we've had, which is, you know, a classic, you know, objective C MVC or MVC VM or whatever, you know, something app um, that we can see where we're going with it. But in the here and now, there's you know a lot of the work now with is with with iOS 13 is being able to say okay some APIs have changed and and some behavior has changed. I mean not not the least of which are, are like stupid small details like you know the the way that that view controllers are presented and now the default is is that this kind of card view that comes up and if you want it to behave in the old way which we do we have to go back and be a little bit more specific about. Um, about the presentation, um, you know, style that we want. Um, there, there are other kind of more practical things. They got rid of MP volume view, um, and so you know, every app that I know that that deals with 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 volume kind of rolls their own you know volume indicator that's not as ugly as theirs. And even though Apple has made their new one, still in my mind, you know, not as elegant as is what the third parties have been. Um, so, you know, we have to kind of, and then there, there, there are some of the things that I am personally excited is, is, you know, voice control. I think that's gonna be really cool. There's a fair amount of work to, to really make that work well. So the, the general feeling is, is, 
you know, we like the future. We can kind of have a pretty clear idea how we're going to get there. But there's also the here and now that we have to, to deal with. And, and I think anybody who writes a, a major app, you know, when, when, when there are these API deprecations, these big changes, you kind of have to, to we made a great effort to, to, to get our app compiled and running as quickly as possible to figure out where some of the issues are and, and, and to be able to say if there are bugs, you know, that we, we get them in front of Apple as quickly as possible because we're going to have to live with it. Um, so I, I, that's kind of where we're at. So I uh, just out of interest, I mean, you may not be allowed to say, so um, that, that's that's fine. I mean, obviously every every OS release brings a, a whole series of new deprecations. Um, and things stay often deprecated for at least a couple of releases and then maybe three, four, five releases on, they they disappear from the code. Um, and no one's got any right to complain because obviously they've been deprecated for a long time uh, by then. So what's your... Yeah, and so obviously every year when you get the new version of the OS, you get what the latest set of deprecations are um, in iOS 13 or in 10.15 for macOS. You know, so what is your, your attitude to deprecations? Do you... Do you look to fix them immediately, um, you know, for or at least make sure the code running un, under the uh, iOS thirteen is doing that, or do you, you know, do you say, well, we'll we'll always do them one release back, or we'll deprecate, we'll get rid of any, you know, deprecation that is now back further than the lowest OS we support? Do you have a sort of policy on that, or is it when someone feels like going into doing it? Uh, I don't know whether there's a strict policy. I think you know we tend to be pragmatic um and so i think we we look very carefully when running it and running all our test suite to be able to see you know to to be able to get an idea what's new what's what's new in in deprecation land and then we have to decide what is the effort of 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 dealing with it now or or you know saying we can push this off i think in this particular case since there is something that's new and we expect a lot of people to get it we, we you know we are concerned about deprecations that even though your app will compile, the behavior will be will be different. And so at that point, you have to kind of decide, do you go complete with the new way or do you work around the deprecation and maintain your old behavior? And, and MP volume view is kind of a, a good example, right? So I mean, you, it's not disappearing from, from the world, but the, the, it's, it's, it's not my favorite class in the Apple firmament, and I think there are plenty of other people who would agree. Um, and and working with it and really working around it always felt painful. I haven't I haven't spent enough time looking at it to to be able to say, well, how can we achieve the same thing using the the new techniques? Um, uh, some some other people have, so I, I haven't. I think that it it's 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 it's. It, when you know that there's a new release coming and you're going to be straddling where you, 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 you know, if, if you were to say, I'm going to, you, we can't, we're, we're in no position to be sale, be able to say, okay, now we're going to ship an iOS 13 thing. So anything that's deprecated in 13, we're going to get rid of it. We can't, right. You know, but by the same token, we have to make sure knowing that iOS 13 is going to get picked up very, very quickly. We have to make sure that the behavior is. So it's, it's kind of, we have to make a decision on, on uh, when we see deprecations, what the smartest technique is going forward is to, to kind of bite the bullet. And even if you have to live with some, some, some if defs to, to be able to handle, you know, the different, the different APIs that you're going to be using on different, on different OSs or, 
Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, there's, there's, there's not a hard, fast rule. We don't say that, you know, we won't ship with anything. It, we won't compile anything that, that has deprecation warnings. I, I don't know whether that's truly practical um, in an app of, of, of our size and complexity and, 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 and footprint in the, in the world. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, especially if you're a person who likes, you know, treat warnings as errors, then, you know, deprecations when you're building under a new... Yeah, uh, it's painful uh, to look uh, at. Difficult. So I think basically you need to... Yeah, it's that's that becomes becomes quite difficult. So I mean, again, as a team, um, uh, you know, there, there's multiple people who work on you know your products across thing, you know, all with Apple stuff, and you're all learning stuff about iOS. Do you, or, you know, thirteen? Or, um, I mean, do you have a conscious way of sharing what you're learning as you go, or is it like everyone just digs in and learns for no, themselves? No, no. I mean, it, it's you know, I talked about earlier meeting. We have a technical roundtable. Um, once a week where we go over where there'll be presentations, there'll be kind of quick, quick kind of tips and tricks thingy spotlights, you know? And so we, we're, we, we take knowledge sharing um, very, very seriously and we do it within teams that are working on similar code bases. Or, so they'll, they'll, there's kind of groups of people who are working on app technology, but we do it also cross platform because techniques are techniques and they're not necessarily bound to a programming language environment. So um, that that is something I think part of our our culture is to is constantly be getting better and and you you can't get better on your own. I mean I mean you can let's say, but you you get better a lot faster when you're getting better um, with company. Yeah, I mean often you know there are pros and cons to working in team. I mean uh, you have to argue over code style and you have to uh, argue over the best techniques of way of doing things. Whereas an in, you know if you're a solo developer, you can just do things your way. But the the learning you've got you know um, multiple brains and we all learn in different ways and we all spot stuff that other people don't spot and you know that's a, a massive benefit isn't it so I yeah. I think if you work in a team and you don't have some you know semi formal I'm going to call it, it doesn't have to be formal semi formal way of sharing the knowledge then you really are sort of you know I think missing out on one of the big benefits of of working in team yeah. um, and so yeah that's a, but yeah. Uh, the, I've, I've done work for a number of companies that they were so keen on sharing the knowledge, they formalized the process to the point that nobody actually wants to get involved in it. <laughs> um, because it becomes, you know, so rigid and, you know, you you go to seven meetings a week about sharing the knowledge and everyone just, you know... It's like There's a no knowledge stand-up. to share because you don't have any time to, to, to obtain some. It's like the concept of a daily stand-up. A daily stand-up is, you know, it's it's been adopted by so many people it's almost i would say it's almost universal now i mean not quite um but i would say the reality is most daily stand-ups are a waste of space and a waste of time and it's not because the concept of a daily stand-up is a waste of time it's because the way it's been handled if you if you just stand in that room for or, or be online for 10 minutes and you don't really listen to what anyone has said then you know you've not learned anything equally if the way you present your stand-up doesn't help other people, um, so just saying, oh yeah, I was working on working on a bug with uh, with the button. Um, yeah, I should fix that today. Um, that may have value. It may not have value. It's probably uh, not likely. But you know, learning to say, well, you know, customers have been struggling with this because the bug with the button, and so part of the process to make customer flow easier is is we've going to fix that and we've discovered the technical reason it's not working is this um and that's going to take me a couple of days to look into um unless anybody knows 
you know, we've seen that before somewhere else. You know, I'm, I'm often just meant that, you know, that's far different. And someone says, oh, yeah, I had to do that a couple of weeks ago for a different thing. You know, that but then becomes useful every day of a, a quick catching. You know, to me, the point of a daily stand up is to say, are, two, you know, are people working on the right things? Are people getting in each other's way and uh, saying something in a way that, oh, someone else has just said, yeah, I can help you with that. I know how to fix that. Um, and if, if your daily stand-up's not achieving those things, then you're wasting your time with daily stand-up, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting how a lot of people go through the motions of these things, and then they say, well, yeah, stand-ups, you know, I don't see what the big deal is. It's because you're not doing it very well. <laughs> You've got to put a bit of effort in, folks. <laughs> more functions, more objects, less standing. Well, Scotty, I have one last little bit of, of story to tell. Would you like to hear it? Is this, is this like, to, to finish up the episode, Yeah. Yes. So should I be should I be getting into bed and tucking myself in now for a bedtime story? Something okay. like that. Then. Once upon a time, there were two old men. No, just kidding. So <laughs> this is another one of those things where I realized, you know, that the experiences I had as a kid are not the same as other people's experiences, um, because there was a, a presentation and it was about unit testing, and you know, the guy was making a, a kind of a comparison between kind of like you know. Uh, you know, regular testing, smoke test integration is like brushing your teeth. Like, yeah, I brush my teeth, but but really, you also need to floss, and you know, that's what that's what unit tests are. Um, and uh, and so the question is, are you flossing? And so that was kind of the setup for it. And then at the end of the, the of the presentation, there was discussion about about you know visualizing code coverage um, because there was there was somebody who who you know oversees a lot of that um, because. It's it's very helpful to be able to see that, and and he was saying it's like just you know just because you have one hundred percent test you know code covered doesn't necessarily mean that the 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 the, the testing is effective, but uh, they were there there's certainly value for it, and and we we love visualizing data. We we do have some really good tools for doing that of of all kinds of data, and so I said, well, this kind of reminds me of going to the dentist. Um, when, when basically the dentist would always ask, Hey, have you flossed? And as a kid, you would be like, yeah, fuck yeah, I flossed. Well, you probably wouldn't say that you'd think it. Um, and then they would pull out these little, you know, red tablets, which you would chew on and it would light up your mouth crimson when showing areas where you didn't floss. And I think that the, the people who designed it were very purposeful. It was like, you know, this like, you know, it was like caught your red handed. It's like, you know, total lie because you can see right here. But in the other hand, as embarrassing as that might be, it, it makes it very, very clear and it's very effective because you can't clean what you don't see and you may not realize that, that these areas that you go over with a brush all the time, in fact, may have not been terribly effective in removing plaque where you need to in the crevices. So it's, And so I'm, I'm going on about that and there were like two or three people that knew what I was talking about and the other people like, what are you talking about? And so then I had to pull up a Google image search. Like I never experienced this. And 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 what was also kind of interesting is like the the younger ones. Like you mean you want us to sh- you you want to shame people into compliance? I'm like oh, yes, shame is a, shame is a powerful motivator. And they were somewhat horrified, which made me realize that you know, growing up in the 70s without seat belts and allowing kids to 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 be by themselves and figure it out, and no one was allowed back in before the streetlights turned on uh it had its advantages and i think that that you know so-called millennials who had a very very different experience um 
they, 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 they're still shocked <laughs> when you tell them things like that. But anyway, uh, that was my bedtime story. So, so you can imagine all these uh, these youngsters leaving the meeting and saying, "Oh, Grandpa was on one today, wasn't he?" <laughs> totally true. It's like he must have he must have swallowed too many of those pills or something. Who knows what was in it? it must have been lead in them. <laughs> there we are. That's 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 the, that's the episode title. Grandpa's on too many pills. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, Scotty, if if people want to help put you to bed, how might they do that? <laughs> They can they can sing me lullabies across uh, across Twitter as uh, Mac Devnet or on uh, Microdot Blog as Gotti, um, or of course they can send us both sweet bedtime messages at uh, feedback at iDeveloper dot co. Wow! And if anybody, and what about for you? What about for you, John? Well, Scotty, if people want to get in touch with me, they can find me um, on the Twitter as Jembe, that's D-J-E-M-B-E. And when you begin a conversation with me and I mention your name on the radio and I get it wrong, I might even correct it afterwards because I think I said Joe Crable. And it's not Joe Crable. It's Joe Crabtree. So anyway, uh, I will uh, be very happy to, to record next week and see where we go on our adventure now that I've had these pills. And my gosh, the, the colors just, in this room are spectacular. Yes, just selfie smile with the big red everywhere. <laughs> That's it's true. like you're like the Joker from Batman. Exactly. <laughs> there we are. Well, thank you very much for listening, everybody. Um, hopefully there's been something of some value in there. Remember, more objects, more functions, more data, more tests. More, more flossing. Code, uh, more, <laughs> more shame. Uh, more shame. That is, that is the, uh, the, the key takeaways from, uh, from this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. And until next time, you take care. 